electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even though we get an occasional good day like this one, Hey, Dow only gained 238 points. That's going to be advanced 0.57%. NASDAQ jumped 1.29%. Pretty ugly in the morning, though. It's tough for companies to succeed in this environment. When you do get a winner, I think it's worth taking a closer look to see how that winner pulled it off. As we know, before we go into a success story, the price of failure is high. You can't deliver value. You might lose your control of your own company. Witness Twitter which just sold itself to Elon Musk today for $54.20 per share. Many think this deal is just another billionaire vanity play. I think Musk recognizes there's a lot to Twitter that he can do to unlock value that the current management's simply not doing. Might be easier for Twitter to reinvent itself as a privately held company that can take some short-term hits in order to make itself a more enticing platform. In the end, the existing management team had no real vision, poor execution with ailing margins, so Twitter's leaving the stock market while somebody else tries to fix it. And you know what? I think that someone else, Elon Musk, can pull it off. Begs the question, though. How about companies that are too big to be taken over that we trade and talk about and invest in all the time? What can make their stocks go higher other than when the average recover and the futures take everything up as it happened today? I think it's worth diversifying from Elon. Just for a moment, I promise, just for a moment, to learn what can take a stock relentlessly higher in a relentlessly bad market. A stock that's on a tear when all the other stocks are going down. Oh, yeah. We got a verified winner today that I think makes for a great example. It's prosaic. It doesn't bring to mind battles among titans. It's Coca-Cola. Yeah, plain old Coke. Although, of course, the 100% recycled bottle Coke and all sorts of other little Cokes. Now, you may think that Coke's just sugar water, right? And it's easy to substitute. But today, the company reported an excellent quarter to five. The skeptics showed how inelastic and iconic the brand is. The quarter is a reminder 
that sometimes you just want to own the best of breed companies in unassailable positions, not the worst of breed companies and hope that Elon Musk comes knocking. It's not that Coca-Cola's got no problems. They're dealing with the same issues as everyone else. It's that they've been able to safely navigate their way through the thicket because they've got a seasoned hand at the tiller, CEO James Quincy, who is the opposite of what they had at Twitter. As he says at the beginning of the conference call, after a promising start to the year, the operating environment soon changed with very significant geopolitical conflict, a resurgence of COVID in various places, record high inflation, and continued challenges on the supply chain front. Not great. But Quincy goes on. Nonetheless, we've consistently sustained our momentum from last year, end quote, which is how Coca-Cola delivered strong top and bottom line growth in the quarter. And I got to tell you, this is the kind of stock you need to find, not stocks of companies that are bad where you hope a rich person comes by. First, let's consider China, giant mark for Coca-Cola. It's huge. And the soft drink business has always been great. Now, they came out like gangbusters in the Chinese New Year. But by the end of the quarter, Coke was down year over year thanks to lockdowns. I can't remember, I can't remember a month where they were down. Solution? So far, Quincy says they're working with local bottlers to increase multi-pack availability uh, and maximize, quote, share of visible inventory in channels and regions that are open. You know what that means? The translation? Coca-Cola understands it's a tough time, but they're using this tough time to gain market share for when things get better in the lockdown ends. That's precisely the right way to handle a country on the brink. China's dealing with a crisis of its own making because the government promoted an inadequate homegrown COVID vaccine rather than embracing Western developed vaccines with much better efficacy. They had the bio and tech. They had it. They chose not to use it. Sooner or later, though, they're going to get through the lockdowns. And Coca-Cola, well, they'll be ready to take share. Will you look at this? Will you look at this? Isn't this what we're looking for in this terrible market? How about your Quincy says we are keeping a close watch on the spillover effect of the conflict in Ukraine on the health of the consumer, and we remain ready to pivot and adapt, end quote. Now, they introduced Coca-Cola Zero Sugar in Europe, and that helped them exceed their pre-pandemic levels. company also introduced something called Topo Chico Hard Seltzer, which I'd argue is the most exciting launch in the company's history, or at least since they stopped putting cocaine in their core product about a century ago. In 2017, Coca-Cola bought Topo Chico for $220 million. I am telling you, we're going to look back and say that has to be considered one of the great steals of this new century. The brand is a cult favorite that Quincy knew about. How come? Because he ran Coca-Cola's Mexican business from 2005 to 2008. He's now made a bet that he could actually infuse with liquor to create a niche, nice drink. Well, it turns out it ain't so niche. Right now, Topo Chico is almost impossible to find around the globe, simply because it sells out so fast everywhere. If they can get more glass, I think you'll see this hard seltzer everywhere, too. And you'll also see the, the regular seltzer. i got to tell you, White Claw, eat your heart out. So with brand building in China and Europe dodging a bullet, how's Coca-Cola doing in the U.S.? Well, this may be the toughest nut to crack. Sure, they did great here, in part because... People are going out again, which is a huge reason why the company's organic revenue growth grew uh, grew by an astonishing 18%. 7% of that was price increase, 11% uptick in concentrated sales, going out to dinner. Soda fountain. But the United States also has some of the worst inflation in the developed world. When I talked to James this morning, the most intractable situation really does seem to be the U.S., simply because of rising costs and maybe nothing that the Fed can do about it. We often think about what's in the can as the real cost, Uh, but the can itself seems to be the problem right now. The packaging here is made of aluminum or plastic, both of which have soared higher in price. The good news is that the companies make cans are finally adding capacity after holding back for a long time, mostly because of COVID. 
if we're going to get out of this inflationary spiral, we either need to see lots of companies adding capacity or the Federal Reserve will have to crush the economy. When it comes to Coke, obviously, it's suppliers boosting the production is what really matters. Then there's the cost, the, I should say, intractable cost of freight. The truck driver shortage is very real, James told me. Many drivers are now in their 50s or 60s, and tons of them are retiring ahead of schedule. At the same time, it's hard to train new drivers, especially if you're worried about COVID, so the pool of talent just isn't there. The result? you got to pay someone a heck of a lot more to drive a Coke truck than you did just a few years ago. J-Pal can't create more truck drivers, but he can slow the economy so there's more drivers available. We'd rather have the former. Still, how did Coca-Cola put up such a strong quarter in America? They did what Twitter couldn't do. And they did this actually worldwide. I don't want to limit to, to America. See, what they did was they got in touch with their customers. They figured out where and how they really wanted their product. They made a deal with DoorDash in the U.S. They opened a ton of new outlets in India. They worked tirelessly almost everywhere to get ahead of their role in despoiling the earth, like by intercepting plastic debris in primary waterways, reusable packaging, even taking deposits back to the supermarket for glass bottles. Like when I was a little boy and got nickels for bringing them into the A&P. Now people don't even know who's on the nickel. Hint, he lived in a really cool house, grew grapes. Ultimately, you can say, come on, Coca-Cola would never have to succumb to the indignity of what happened to Twitter today. I come back and say, sure, that may be the case, but it's because this company has dealt with its challenges successfully and Twitter sadly failed to do so. So here's the bottom line. It's tough to succeed in this environment. We all know that. But Coca-Cola put on a clinic, a clinic showing you how a seasoned management team can overcome just about any challenge you might throw at them. That's long-lasting strength. That's a great stock to put away. Colin in Pennsylvania, please, Colin. Big Philly, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, so with the shift in market sentiment and the bearish stance toward the tech sector, this stock keeps making new 52-week lows. What are your thoughts on Shopify? Shopify became one of those companies that became overvalued, but not by any of its own. It is such a terrific engine of growth. It is absolutely the best of what it does, but that doesn't matter, which is why I say we better hedge your bets and buy Amazon over Shopify. Mike in Michigan. Mike. Jim, my question this evening, uh, I'd like to ask you about a company that knows how to drive growth. They know value. They recruit good people. They outperform their competitors. The company is Rockwell Automation. You're a I think Rockwell Automation is terrific. I have a statue of their, uh, their clock tower on my desk to remind me that we do know how to do things. This stock has come down a great deal. I like it here. I think it's a buy. All right, yes, it is tough to succeed right now, but Coca-Cola just showed you how to do it. Now, on Man Money tonight, the appliance industry has been hit hard by demand and supply chain challenges. So how is the king, Whirlpool, navigating this uncertain territory? I'm checking in with the company's top brass. Then the airlines are flying high once again, but does this rally have legs? I'm going to give you my take. Then does Otis have a plan in place that will have investors hitting up the hitting the up button? Well, I've got the exclusive Judy Marks and CEO. So I want you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do we make of these numbers from Whirlpool, the appliance kingpin? When the company reported after the close, the stock initially got bludgeoned because the sales came in a little weaker than expected, even as they also delivered a 52-cent earnings beat off a $4.79 basis. But then the stock rebounded after we learned that management's thinking about selling their ailing European business. When you put pen to paper here, I think the story's become incredibly compelling. Whirlpool now sells for less than seven times earnings, 3.9% dividend yield, massive buyback. If you buy this one, the company's buying it right alongside you. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to catch up with Mark Bitzer. He's the chairman and CEO of Whirlpool. Take a look at this one. Mark, incredibly impressive earnings per share, particularly in a difficult sales environment. How are you able to do that? So, Jim, first of all, thanks for the compliment. Of We're course. really, really proud of Q1, and we feel very solid numbers now. Of course, last year Q1 was the best quarter ever. So anything you compare against Q1 looks you know, solid. Right. But if you compare it to pre-pandemic, it's outstanding. Um, you know, our earnings compared to pre-pandemic Q1 is up 70%. Yeah. Our margins Q4 to Q1 are stronger. So we feel pretty good. And we feel pretty well set up for the rest of the year. So we feel very good. Pricing works. Of course, inflation challenges are real. Um, but I think we've been able to demonstrate we can cope with them. But you brought up the inflation challenge. Obviously, our Fed is trying to cut it in Europe, too. Uh, what are the inputs that make it so that it's so difficult to keep up with inflation? You know, Jim, overall, as we demonstrated last year, the COVID-induced inflation, I think we had a pretty good sense right. and we dealt with it very well. And we also thought we had a pretty good grip on inflation coming into this year. But now all of a sudden you had a war-induced inflation on top of a COVID-induced inflation, so kind of reinforcing, flaring up. So that was the only one which caught us a little bit surprised, probably like most companies, nobody had a war on the horizon. 
But now we're catching up on pricing. We issued new pricing, in effect, in April, um, and we're fully catching up. And I think it's well-digested market. And if you have strong brands and strong products, you can sell. Well, it's clear you have execution going for you. You've got terrific products, but you've decided to have a strategic evaluation of Europe, which you entered about 12 years ago. Now, Europe, I felt, particularly with kitchen, could be a growth market. Just doesn't suit what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's part of a broader portfolio transformation as we talk about it. You know, it's, which ultimately is driven, if you, if you look around, as much, not just Q1, what we're experiencing is a, is a less global world. You know, it's, it's you know, the, the beginning of, call it the big global decoupling. Plus, internally, with our October last year announcement, we raised the bar of performance. You know, we issued new targets, and we're assessing every single business against these targets. So we do, Jim, actively want to put resources, capital, and potentially M&A against high growth, high margin businesses. And at the same time, we're looking at Europe in terms of how does it fit in our future portfolio. And we, we are talking about looking at all options, including retaining, but also including changing ownership. Um, and again, it's against the question is, can Europe perform against the targets which we have given ourselves? And particularly in an environment where you see more and more global decoupling going on. I thought it was very interesting that you actually, in your deck, talk about geopolitical tensions. And I was thinking, would the European, uh, Europeans be uh, upset if a Korean company came in to buy uh, your operations? Well, it's, it's hard to say who's upset or who's not upset. But, of course, you, you would have a number of interested parties looking sure. at this business. Um, and we would have to assess what is the best fit, not only for world cooperation, but also what makes the business more successful in Europe. Um, because, of course, we still have a vested interest in that business. Um, and that will what we will see over the next couple of months. On Mad Money, we believe in finding companies that make things or do stuff that are valued at a very reasonable price that return money to shareholders. That's you. The amount of money you're returning to shareholders, frankly, I'm going to tell you, is staggering as a percentage of your market cap. Yeah. I mean, Jim, overall, first of all, I mean, you point to it. This is a very different whirlpool than 10 or 20 years ago. Our margins are strong, our cash flow is strong, our cash flow has been strong for the last three or four years. We show that we're kind of rigorously assessing our portfolio, we return money to shareholders. We raised dividend now nine years in a row. We paid dividend for 70 years. And we're also very open to share buybacks. We have a big authorization, so I think we're very respectful um, towards our shareholders and return the money. Now, I was surprised, and a lot of people I think would be too, uh, we think of you in the laundry room. It's really, we should be thinking about you in the kitchen and how dominant you are in the kitchen versus your foes. Yeah. I mean, first of all, kitchen is, I mean, the way we talk internally is we, quote, unquote, want to improve life in the kitchen and the laundry room. Both rooms are ours, okay? And kitchen has, you know, pointed out, it's the appliance, it's a small domestic appliance. Our kitchen is damaged. It's probably the best product we have in our company. So there's a lot of further opportunity also for us to grow in the kitchen, and it's a good space. And people are spending more time in the kitchen. You know, that's what most people underestimate between pre-COVID and post-COVID. The pandemic may be over, the orientation of the kitchen is not over. Now, I, I, when I think about what's going on, I am absolutely shocked. There were many people who were critical of Whirlpool during the 80s and 90s that you stayed in Latin America. How come people were critical in light of the fact of how much money you're making there now. Yeah, I mean, Latin America for us is good business. Yeah. And, you know, it's part of his portfolio transformation. It's, if you look, think about the Americas, okay, we are number one from Alaska to Patagonia. That is a very, very, very strong position. And, you know, we have a strong team where we have strong products where 
So that's why we said we got to invest in the Americas. Um, there's also one other market, India, where we believe in future growth. It could be one of the three biggest ones in the world, and we have a strong position. But that's where we will put our resources behind. Now, let's talk about shortage. When I speak to Doug Yearly, who's the terrific CEO of Toll Brothers, they have houses that they can't finish unless they go to Home Depot to buy your appliances. How did that happen? And do, is that when you should be putting up more factories, or is that just a short-term COVID-related shortage? There was certainly a short-term COVID-related shortage. Um, and frankly, we have the biggest production base of anybody in the U.S. Right. And kind of would say the first year of COVID, that was a little bit of a disadvantage because Asia and China production was a little bit smoother. Um, I think, I still believe in the future of American manufacturing going forward. Um, we're not, we're not going to change our mind. What we will do is we are expanding capacity, um, which we're historically well reluctant. We're expanding capacity in the U.S. Um, we, we're kind of debottling where, where we can. But the shortages will be around this industry for the entire 22. However, they start easing. We start seeing them easing, so it's getting better. Um, but yes, it's been a painful two years, to be honest. And we hate having consumer wait for our products. And I know in particular builders, the appliance is the last product to come in. Okay, So you know, if you miss the last product before we close, you hear it from your builders. Okay, now, I'm going to give you total props in that I know world, the old Whirlpool and the new Whirlpool. And it's really extraordinary, particularly washer dryer. Uh, but there's transparency in the web. We now know we can compare, compare, compare. Talk about what you've done to make it so that it's not a real comparison. It's you and the other guys. You know, first of all, there's an incredible power for brands. You know, it's yes. don't underestimate this one. You know, if you ask today, if you would ask my 19-year-old daughter, what washer should you buy? She would check, what washer do we have at home? What, right. did, what did mom recommend? I mean, I know it sounds a little bit old-fashioned, no. but that's how consumers think. So the power of brand, the power of a KitchenAid brand, which is, one of the most preferred brands among, across millennials is very, very, very strong, okay? So it's not just products and the latest gimmicks, even though we don't sell gimmicks, <laughs> we have a record. It's the brands, um, the brands and products that make a big difference. I would also argue that we're kind of the last, the only big American company in appliance. I think that makes a difference. Oh, that's true. Um, uh, well, the last question I have is when I, I like to do market cap analysis, when I look at your sales, I look more importantly at your earnings per share. I look at your buyback. I say to myself, how could the stock capitalization of Whirlpool be so small versus Whirlpool? And it is something, right, to be thinking about. Yeah, I think, Jim, you're spot on. And then you probably hear every CEO telling you I'm undervalued. Okay, <laughs> I think you have a judge. I mean, with a current guidance, we're trading at seven times PE. So you have a judge. And we have a strong cash flow. We have a dividend yield of 4%. So you be the judge. But... I do believe there's opportunity. Well, I know your buyback is tremendous. So obviously, when it comes to being the judge, the ultimate judge, you're the Supreme Court and you like your <laughs> stock. We do like our stock. Well, Mark Bitzer, Chairman and CEO of Whirlpool Corporation, it is great to talk to you in person. Congratulations on your Thanks, success. Jim. Thanks for having me here. Coming up, this is your captain speaking. Temperature in Cramerica is 72 and sunny. Please direct your attention to the screens in front of you for an explanation on the bull market in airlines. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. In this insanely volatile market, I'm taking a page from the Johnny Mercer playbook. Because at moments like these, particularly early in the morning, you got to accentuate the positive. Now, we've been through two weeks of earnings season. It's been rocky. But so far, the most positive commentary of any industry has come out of, of all things, the airlines. First, it was Delta, then United, then American, then Alaska. Uh, Like I tell you every night, there's always a bull market somewhere. And right now, we've got a complete nut job raging bull in the airlines. And that's why the U.S. Global Jets ETF, that's a good proxy for the group, roared 11% over the past two weeks, despite this being a brutal period for the broader averages, where the S&P 500 was down nearly 5%. Now, if you go back to the March lows, the Jets ETF has rallied more than 32%. And think about this. Oil's going up to $100. Now, this is all happening for good reason. After years of struggling with the pandemic, the airlines have finally got their group back. For a long time, it seemed like whenever the economy started to reopen, we'd get another crippling new COVID variant that would shut things down again. Then, even when international travel started coming back, the price of oil began to soar. Bad news for the gas-guzzling airlines. And they also had problems with pilot shortages. Then the last straw was the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which sent the price of oil into the stratosphere and crushed the airline stocks. Most people had written them off. But in the last month and a half, these stocks have come roaring back. Why? Simple. Wall Street finally realized that people are desperate to travel again. It's probably the number one thing that people want to do post-pandemic. Right now, the consumer remains flush with cash, and we've got a two-year backlog of vacations and perhaps most important, weddings to go to. If you hadn't realized the strength of the travel resurgence already, Delta Airlines confirmed it a week and a half ago when they reported I, I got to tell you, I blow out its two-week word for this one. It was a tremendous quarter. While Delta gave you much better than expected sales and a smaller than anticipated earnings loss, the headline numbers barely gave you a real glimpse into the full story. The truly remarkable thing here was management's incredibly bullish commentary. I, I've been around for a long time. It's very rare that you're going to hear what, 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 what I heard. First, we learned that Delta returned to profitability in March, 10% operating margins. Management says things will get even better in the current quarter. They expect their revenues to return to roughly 95% of what they made in the second quarter of 2019. And uh, that's the last comparable period before the pandemic. But what I need you to do is I want you to listen, and please listen closely, to CEO Ed Bastian. Okay. And what he had to say in his interview with the unbelievably good CNBC's Phil LeBeau that's that same morning. The demand is phenomenal. We've never seen in our company's history demand for our product and services at the level we are. In the month of March, we had the highest sales in terms of bookings of any month in our history period. And this is continuing into April. The consumers are ready to go. Our people are out there doing their very best to serve uh, the uh, surging demand. But people are ready to go when they're traveling, and, and the, there's great preference for Delta. It's been almost two weeks. You know what? I'm still stunned by those words. Best bookings ever? In fact, the only reason Delta's not on track to beat its 2019 revenue numbers is because the airline's only operating about 85% of its pre-COVID capacity. As for the monster uptick in oil prices, Bastion said they've got no problem raising prices in order to pass those costs on to the consumer. 
completely full plane. Then last week, we heard a similar narrative from a series of airlines. Last Wednesday, United reported what seemed like a less than stellar quarter if you only looked at the headline numbers. But just like with Delta, management told a very bullish story about the next couple of quarters. According to United, they'll return to 87% of their pre-COVID capacity in the current quarter, with revenue per passenger mile up, that's a key number, up 17% versus 2019, meaning they're on track to put up record sales for Q2. At the same time, this is the quarter where management says they'll return to profitability. United CEO Scott Kirby also spoke to Phil Lebeau the day his company reported. At the time, there was a huge discrepancy between United's guidance and the analyst's earnings estimates. United said they'll turn a profit this year. The analysts were predicting a $2.50 per share loss. Here's how Kirby explained why the analysts were dead wrong. I've never seen in my career, and I've been in this industry a long time, such a hockey stick increase in demand, leisure demand, but also business demand. We actually expect business tra- our business revenue, uh, booked business revenue, to be above 2019 levels uh, in just a few weeks. And we're already booking more business uh, revenue than we have capacity. Um, it's really amazing. Anyone who thinks it's been a weak earnings season, wake up. Just wake up. And then the next day we heard from American Airlines and Alaska. Same story. Americans said they'll return to roughly 93% of 2019 capacity this quarter, with total revenue up 6 to 8% for the same period of 2019, meaning they're now doing better than they were pre-COVID. Unlike Delta United, America was a little more cagey about when they'll return to profitability because they're spending a lot of money to boost capacity ahead of what should be a busy summer traveling season. Again, a positive. Plus, they're bending over backwards to clean up the balance sheet after borrowing a fortune to get through the early lockdown phase of the pandemic, not their fault. While I prefer Delta or United, America's also going great. I wouldn't stop you from buying it. All right, how about Alaska Air, at one time considered to be the premier operator? Although they're not one of the majors, it is extremely still, it's well-run still, with a much higher mix of leisure travelers compared to business ones. Sure enough, March was their best month ever for cash sales, and management says their second quarter revenue will be up 5 to 8% versus the same period in 2019. Plus, Alaska Air is confident they'll return to profitability for the full year. Based on this year's estimates, it's the cheapest of the airlines, trading just 14 times earnings. The only problem with this stock is that everybody knows Alaska's Air, Air is one of the strongest players the industry, which makes it harder for them to deliver an upside surprise. That's why the stock is actually down a few bucks from where it was trading before the quarter. In other words, you're getting that amazing forecast for less than nothing. Of course, we want to be selective with our stock picking here, even when we're dealing with an industry-wide bull market. That's why I'd steer clear of the companies involved in the bidding war for Spirit Airlines, that's JetBlue Frontier, and Spirit itself. Whatever way this plays out, I don't, I'm just saying it point blank right now, lawyers involved with this deal Forget it. Biden's Justice Department is not going to allow another airline merger. I'm also a little hesitant about Southwest Air, symbol love, used to be the undisputed best of breed. Last year, though, Southwest had some pretty bad operational issues, including something close to a mutiny from the pilots union. Plus, longtime CEO Gary Kelly recently stepped down. And while he's staying on as chairman, I want to give the new guy a little more time to prove himself. So let's see what Southwest says when it reports on Thursday morning. Hard to imagine it'll be weak, but the other guys have momentum and more important pricing power. And by the way, remember when we were supposed to think the business travel was going? They don't even need business travel. But that's coming back, too, as we heard from American Express last week. The bottom line, there's always a bull market somewhere. And right now it's flying at 30,000 feet high. My favorites are the two most profitable. That's Delta and Alaska Air. Just remember to ring the register gradually on the way up, because remember, these are airlines tend to be very boom and bust industry. And nothing's changed on that front. Brett in Texas. Brett. 
Hey, Jim, before I get to my question, just uh, wanted to say really appreciate all you do for us little guys, and uh, your staff is always professional. Uh, thank you. You know, these are hard days, and it really means a lot to my, to my staff. Who I mean, we did a shoot this morning, and they were so good, and they're just here when I come in, here when I go home. Thank you for that. How can I help you? Yeah, yeah, of course. They're great. Hey, uh, so I, uh, I've done some traveling to Vegas lately, and... Uh, you know, when I'm there, it's packed, it's, it's vibrant, it's exciting, the casinos are packed, man, it's alive. So uh, I'm thinking, I may have to get a casino stock here. I've always, uh, I've always liked the stock of Wynn, but I'm kind of worried with the whole uh, China shutdown with COVID right now. I know they have the, um, you know, the, the Wynn has the uh, exposure over there. So, so what do you think about the casino uh, game Boy, right now? Brett, I'll tell you, you're reading my mind. I thought the same thing with Wynn. I thought that Vegas was going to be great, and it is. The other places in America, I thought great they are. And I thought Macau would come back. And I made a big mistake on that. And that is my bad. I think it's too early to buy Wynn. I wanted to crack through 70. And I regret that I jumped the gun because of COVID. I just didn't think the Chinese would be so ill-advised in the way they handle COVID. My favorite airline stocks are Delta and Alaska Air. Remember, these are trading vehicles. I don't want you to get caught. And whoever said that the business traveler's not coming back when they come back, they're going to be paying through the nose. There's much more mad money ahead, uh, including my exclusive with another great company, Otis. After hiking statement, of course, buying back a lot of stock. Could Otis stock be poised to elevate your portfolio? I've got the terrific CEO. Then in the face of volatility, what should investors keep top of mind when evaluating a beaten down stock might be worth eyeing? And of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the dedicated to Twitter lightning round. So stay with Kramer. This morning, we got a real nice surprise. It was from Otis Worldwide, the elevator and escalator maker that was spun off by the old United Technologies a little more than two years ago, and it keeps delivering. Over the last eight odd months, this stock has been weighed down by supply chain woes, rising raw costs, worries about the flagging Chinese real estate market that we all know about. Otis had come down from $92 last summer to $73 and changed last Friday. This morning, though, the company delivered a resilient, that's the word I like to focus on, set of numbers. While Otis's sales came in a tad weaker than expected, their margins and earnings were much stronger than anticipated. Management also revised their full-year forecast to account for their pullback from Russia. But overall, the numbers were better than feared. And that's why the stock gained 1.6% today and was going up all day even when the market was bad. I think Otis gets a tough rap here because most investors don't understand that the bulk of their business comes from maintenance, service, not new construction. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Judy Marks, the chair and CEO of Otis Worldwide. Get a better read on the quarter and where her company's at. Ms. Marks, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to see you again. Judy, I got to tell you, this was an extraordinary quarter. First, I want to go with the United States. A lot of people feel that center cities are done, that people are putting up big buildings, that there's nothing going on. Your numbers tell me that's totally wrong. It's actually robust. Yeah, listen, the U.S. is growing. The buildings are growing, multifamily, residential. If you look at all the indicators or just look at the cranes in your neighborhood, you will see the construction is healthy in the Americas, especially in the U.S. and North America. You know, we had a great quarter. Our orders were up 8.8 percent and backlog is up 6 percent. So we are setting the, the chart. We're charting the course for a really strong year in both new equipment and our service portfolio, Jim, which, as you said, 
is the jewel of our business, was up three plus percent. So we got it on volume. We're getting price in terms of inflation, especially in service. And I couldn't be more pleased with how the team's been performing. All that really drove 30 basis points of margin expansion with all the productivity initiatives, with all the G&A cost focus we've had. But it's about value creation. And we've been creating value for our customers and we've been creating value for our shareholders. And our shareholders, we're paying them back. We raised the dividend last week, a little over 20%, 45% since we spun. We paid down a half billion of debt in the first quarter and we gave $200 million back in share buybacks including getting ready for our our tender to complete in the next two weeks on taking full ownership of our Zardoya Otis Spanish entity. Just a really strong quarter around around the the whole company. I think there's a propensity to be a little too cynical about the Chinese as if they, they skimp on everything. The safety numbers here tell me that China may not be building, but when it comes to being sure that the elevators and the escalators work, they're there. They care. Yeah, Jim, we had our eighth consecutive quarter of orders growth in China. So even with everything you read about developers having challenges, we grew share. Our strategy is working. Orders were up 3%. Our backlog's up 4%. And for the third consecutive quarter, our portfolio grew high teens. We're taking care of our customers. We're taking care of each other. Now, second quarter, second quarter, we expect to be lighter. Right. Um, because of the lockdowns, but our elevator factories are open. The challenge is really second tier supply chain and being able to ship to installations inside of China. But I felt that when I look at a number that you told us to watch, which I thought was great because you're very clear in your presentation, the awards numbers are extraordinary. Tell people what it means when you get an award. Yeah, so we use awards in North America and our awards were up almost 25% last quarter. And that's a precursor before we take a booking or an order in North America. In China, our proposals were up 25% in the first quarter. So business is healthy. Now we just have to deliver. And we're looking forward to that delivery with our organic sales growth in the quarter over 3% uh, and us finishing the year at 3 to 4%, buoyed by our service business, which will be up between 5 and 6%. Well, how are you able to outrun the commodity costs. We know what goes into an elevator. It's all the stuff we hear that just keeps going higher and higher and higher. Yeah, so we are seeing input cost pressures like others. We had kind of pegged that at about $90 million in our original guide this year. We're up to about 110, some of that from steel increasing and some of that from freight. And so we have to be more productive. We know what we need to do. Our installation productivity will offset it. And we'll continue to to focus on every method we know how, again, to be able to drive that return to our shareholders. And what that translates into, as you know, Jim, is cash. Another quarter of negative networking capital. We generated $474 million, almost half a billion dollars of cash, 152% of of gap net income. But it really is a, a performance story, a tenacity story, a share gain story, and executing our strategy. One last question. Uh, can you contrast what Otis looks like now versus what kind of cash it was generating when you were part of United Technologies, what kind of share, and, uh, and frankly, what kind of earnings? Yeah, share has been up. It uh, was up 2% as we entered this year, and we're up another percent this quarter. So, again, we're focused on sales coverage. 
We're focused on investment and innovation. We control that R&D investment. We introduced our, our connected elevator uh, over the last year, and it's now being offered primarily pretty much everywhere in the world at different varieties and different offerings. Um, in terms of cash, we get to choose how to use that cash, and we've decided we're going to share it with our shareholders, and we've been doing that very effectively. Again, multiple quarters of networking capital across our 1,400 branches and across our finance teams. So we're making the calls. We think we're making the right calls. Our customers are proving that out. And hopefully our shareholders are happy. Well, here we like people who and companies that make things and do stuff and return money to shareholders with a very reasonable valuation. That's everything that you have created. Judy Marks, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. That's Judy Marks, CEO of Otis Worldwide, OTIS. There are companies that are doing so well, okay? Maybe we just have to study them or look down at the elevator, and there's the name Otis. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate that. Let's start with Lara in California. Lara. Hi, Jim. I'm a first-time caller, and um, I wanted to tell you it's a privilege and honor to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. My brother and I are big fans of your show. Um, My question is, um, do you think that LAC is a buy now? You know, I thought that Lithium America would be. Uh, Let me tell you what the problem is. If you go listen to Elon Musk, he talks about the fact that these companies are making way too much money. He's so smart. I'm not going to bet against him. I think you have to sell that stock. Let's go to, uh, because it won't stay like that. Let's go to Amit in Connecticut. Amit. Hi. Booyah, Jim. This is Amit from Connecticut, Hamden. Hi. I have a question about Informatica. Sure. Uh, Informatica Um, came public at a bad time. No one really wanted it. It's now come down so much that I think it's actually a buy. I happen to like their technology very much, but it should not have come public again until things were better. Mark in the market. Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Uh, I'm enjoying your morning meetings, trying to make sense out of these difficult times. Oh, thank you. I'll tell Jeff Parks that, too. It's 1020 every day online. What's up? Uh, My question's about Capri Holdings. I thought they might be somewhat immune to interest rate hikes since their customer base is relatively affluent. They're making money. They have a relatively low P.E. There's been several price target raises, yet a few ratings downgraded. Uh, what's your outlook for this I stock? think you had four cents, man. I That was one of two. I think Ralph Lauren and Capri. Capri's actually doing better. Or Capri, as they say. I think you're dead right. I'm a buyer. Let's go to Kenneth in New York, please. Kenneth. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Kenneth. How about you? I'm doing fine. Hey, so, Jim, I want to ask you about an energy company uh, that currently has a buy rating. Um has 411 institutions holding it, and it has a great uh, positive long-term uh, outlook. The ticker symbol is FTI. That's a gutsy one. If you think oil's going to ho- go back over to 100, you're going to make a lot of money, and I am with you, and I say it's good. No, not done. I'm going to go to Jimmy in California. Jimmy! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. First time, 
first-time caller, but I've been following you since the Cudlow days. And we'll be joining the investing club shortly. Yes, yes. We are doing some good stuff. We had some goodbyes today right into the low. How can I help? Excellent. I'm calling about in-link midstream. It's ticker symbol. I like in-link midstream. I like the plus fours. I'm going to see you that one. and I'm going to raise you Enbridge. All these are good enterprise product partners coming back, too. Even Kinder Morgan. Wow. Hey, energy transfer is good. I thought I'd never say that on the show. Let's go to Donald, Illinois. Donald. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Hey, my uh, stock is applied materials. Uh, what it's going to take to get into Crazy last week it hit a low. All right, so we know from uh, from Lamb Research that there's some pockets of weakness. We know from a, from AS, ASMLF there's some pockets of weakness. But from applied materials, there's almost no pockets of weakness. I think this stock's a buy. It is hated, but it is a great company. Anthony in New York. Anthony. How you doing, Jim? Booyah. Booyah. How you doing? So, I, listen, Jim, I'm, I may not be bringing you one that you love, but I hope you change your tune on it. The name of the company is Canopy Growth, CGC. Ouch. I've been saying that until federal law passes, you cannot own this stock. And federal law has not passed yet. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Buffett, Musk, and unlocking value in a whirlpool of pessimism. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. times like these, it's always worth considering whether a company might have intrinsic value that's not apparent to most money managers. This is a lesson taught to us annually by Warren Buffett at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting that we're covering live this weekend. Of course, it's also a lesson taught by Elon Musk with Twitter. But sadly, there is only one Elon Musk. Buffett's Festival of Capitalism this Saturday, which I think is going to be so much fun, will come at a good time. Too often when we read about these meetings, they have kind of an antediluvian feel to them. They sound like something from the days of yore that has less relevance in a world of high-speed trading and double or triple leverage ETFs. But with so many people fleeing from the stock market every day because it keeps getting hammered, it's a good time to hear some quaint, dispassionate talk from someone who's seen it all. If you think this moment looks ugly, remember Warren Buffett was buying stocks when it looked like we might lose World War II. I know it's natural shy away from pain, but you've got to keep in mind that stocks do get cheaper as they go lower if the companies are good. I want you to try this exercise right now after the show. Go into your laundry room, inspect your kitchen. Google any brand names you see. If you're like me, you're looking at an awful lot of Whirlpool. Then consider what CEO Mark Bitzer said today. Whirlpool rules from Alaska to Patagonia. More topically, because they don't rule in Europe, I bet they're willing to sell the European business to the highest bidder, including a host of Korean companies. Hey, look, I'm sure China wants in too, although that might be a tougher sell to the European regulators. Why does that matter? If Whirlpool raises a bunch of cash like this, they can use that money to repurchase a massive quantity of their own stock, even more than the current buyback that's already good for about a third of the share count. You're talking about a nearly 4% yielder with a good balance sheet. It's an accidentally high yielder, I should tell you. A great brand name and an immense buyback, even as its stock sells for less than seven times earnings. 
That, as I told Jeff Marks, my partner from the CNBC Investing Club, who helps me manage the charitable trust, makes Whirlpool an instant bullpen stock. It makes no sense for the stock to be that cheap. And before the current sell-off is over, I think we're going to see a lot more of these absurd situations. The problem is that there are also many stocks that actually deserve to get pasted, and there may not be any level where they become of interest. That's what happens when you have too much easy money. You get tons of substandard companies coming public, and they only wipe out their shareholders meaning you if you're not careful. How do you find more good ideas in the market? Ideas like Airlines, Otis, Whirlpool. I'll be listening to Buffett this weekend to hear the types of stocks he likes. But I can tell you right now, compared to where a few weeks ago, there are many more companies that look enticing targets for takeovers or for taking themselves private than they did not that long ago, which, of course, leads me again to Twitter's decision to sell itself to Elon Musk. I know a lot of people see this as a vanity move, yet another media company bought by the richest man in the world. But I think Musk sees a better way to run Twitter and is anxious to roll up his sleeves and unlock its true value. I think the board, which originally wanted nothing to do with Musk and didn't say, say yes to this deal, had to change his mind because it's better to be sued by those who wanted a little more than those who can't believe they just lost $20 because Musk walked away. Although this will be the second time that Twitter's run by a part-time CEO, I bet Musk can make it work if he can, if he can just harness Twitter as the ultimate stage of customer satisfaction. He can capitalize on direct messaging as a way to conduct transactions. He can create a two-tiered structure. The normal ad-supported Gowanus Canal of anonymous piranhas and a subscription-based Blue Grotto. Most important, though, he knows that Twitter, the company, is worth more than the market's willing to pay for it. There are many names now like Twitter and Whirlpool or Otis or the airlines out there. More by the day, because the stocks of good companies really do get cheaper as they go down. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.